listen, don't make vows at all. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Really what Jesus is saying is that the only reason you need to swear an oath or make a vow is because nobody believes you're really going to keep it. So be a person who says what they're going to do and actually follows through. That let your yes be yes and your no, no and anything more is from the evil one. That's a big takeaway, isn't it? We need to be people who when we say something, we do it. Making a vow should not be a flippant phrase we throw out in times of distress. Vows are sacred to God, and as Pastor Daniel reminds us, they are promises God intends for us to fulfill. The advice we're given today is to not make a vow at all. If we live with integrity, doing what we say we'll do, then we'll be seen as trustworthy. There won't be a need for vows, as our word will be enough. Building this trust takes time, but is well worth the effort. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, The Vows of Women. All right, let's all open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 30. Numbers, chapter 30, as we continue our study here through the Bible, in our study looking at... Now, a section of scripture, Numbers chapter 30, you notice everyone got all excited by the title. It's called The Vows of Women, which the beauty of studying verse by verse through books of the Bible is that you find yourself talking about things that if you were just kind of doing a series where you kind of cherry picked what you wanted to talk about, you probably wouldn't choose this chapter. And that's the beauty of God's word is that God's word has all sorts of things in it that we would be like, yeah, I want to really learn about this. And there's other things in the scriptures that you're like, okay, I wouldn't have chosen that, but we need to learn it still. See, God's word has everything that we need for life and godliness. One of the ways that I've been saying it a lot lately is that the Bible has the best information about the most important things in life. It doesn't have everything about everything, but it has the best information about the most important issues that we find ourselves in. And Numbers chapter 30 is no different. It's really all about vows. Now, what's interesting is that for the children of Israel, in times of crisis, people turn to God in prayer. And for the children of Israel, those prayers often took the form of vows. And a lot of us know what this is like. God, if you help me now, I will start going to church. God, if you get me out of this, I will do this thing. God, you know, and all of us probably have found ourselves along life's way doing that kind of a thing. Now, what's amazing about that is that God actually, according to his word, actually holds us to those things. So I'll never forget, it was a classic one. I remember as a young pastor, there was a young lady and she was in college and she made a vow to God, God, I am not going to date for two years. Now, you know what happens when you make a vow like that. Right? Like two weeks later, your soulmate arrives. You know, like that's how that works, you know? And this poor girl, she was all beside herself, and it was a great time to discuss the Bible and God's grace. And we're going to talk about what Jesus says about vows. So we know what it's like. Now, according to the children of Israel, 
of the time of Moses and later, vows became a very large part of the way that they worshipped God. Vows were very, very common, and they made formalized vows. Like, sometimes we'll say, well, Lord, if you get me out of this thing, then I'm going to do this thing. And you don't actually tell anybody except the Lord under your breath, right? But for the children of Israel, it became a much more formal part of their worship experience. And so it makes sense that we need to look at it in regards to what do we do in regards to vows. And so it always takes the form of a promise to give something to God. So it often has the idea of a sacrifice. Like, God, I promise if you do this, then I'm going to do this other thing. This idea of sacrifice. So jumping in, look at what it says in Numbers chapter 30, verse 1. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now, you may say, well, so Fusco, I thought this was the vows of women, right? And really, we start with verse 2, which is the one stipulation for men in the entire rest of the chapter is all about vows for women. So we'll get the principle up top, and then we'll discuss how this all fits together. Now notice, this is what the Lord has commanded. So Moses is still acting as the mediator between the Lord and the people. And this is one where Moses is receiving from the Lord, and he's bringing to the heads of all the different tribes. He's like, listen, he's disseminating it to the leaders, and then the leaders are disseminating it down into the people. Now what I want you to notice up top is that this idea of vows, especially as it relates to men and God, and then women in all the different ways women can find themselves, whether single or married or, you know, all these different things. It's all about authority, which is definitely not something that we like talking about in 21st century American culture, right? The idea of everybody finds themselves under authority and it honors God that we submit to him by submitting to the authorities over us. Now, the reason we don't like talking about it is because it's pretty clear at this juncture in our lives that we all have authority issues, Right? Nobody likes to be under authority. Nobody willingly submits to authority. I was watching a video, and you guys know we have a lot going on in our country in regards to problems of race, and as, especially as it relates to law enforcement officials and different people. And I was watching a video from the streets of New York, because when I miss home, I go and I look for CD New York City videos. And I was literally watching a police officer try and talk to a man who is wielding a knife and the man is fighting with him, and the man won't stop, and the man starts punching the cop, and this whole thing. And I'm like, we, you know, this is, it's authority problems. And it's really easy to look at a graphic video of something like that and say, okay, yeah, like some people are like that, but we're all like that, aren't we? The reason we don't like authority is for most of us, along life's way, we have had an authority figure that is oppressive. Now, you have to realize this. I'm going to put this right out there. Like I say, I'm giving you all the cards up front so that everything else fits. God did not design authority to be oppressive. God designed authority to be a vehicle for flourishing. How do I know? Because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which means Jesus of Nazareth is the ultimate authority. Every knee 
will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the ultimate authority. Now, Jesus as the ultimate authority, when a person submits their life to Jesus, that is not meant to be oppressive or suffocating. That is meant to be, when we submit ourselves to Jesus, we truly flourish and blossom in all the ways that God intended. So, authority is not meant to depress or suppress or oppress, it is literally meant to raise up and to rise up and to bring to flourishing. And every single authority structure that exists is designed for that, but because we live in a fallen world, filled with fallen people, in our fallenness, every authority structure has a tendency to be oppressive, right? Where you have police officers who might use their power to hurt people. Or you have bosses who use their power to hurt people or to keep you down. Or many of you have had those type of bosses where you're very skilled at your job, but your boss is insecure because you're so good, and then they hold you down because they know that you're more talented than they are. And we're so used to this that we automatically say every single authority structure is negative, it's bad. But you know what the absence of authority is? It's anarchy. Is anarchy ever safe? No. Has anybody ever been in a situation of pure anarchy? Probably almost none of it. I actually, one of the guys on staff was a police officer in Southern California when the LA riots happened. And he left law enforcement work right after that. Because in a situation without any authority, nobody feels free. It's the complete opposite. We think, oh, without any authority, we'd all be free. No, no, no. We'd be scared out of our minds. And so God has placed all of us under authority in different ways. And what we all do as fallen people is we all resist against that. That's what we do. We all resist against the authority of Jesus in our lives. I'm going to do my life my way. I know God's word says that. I'm not going to do that. Why would I want to do that with my life? I mean, Jesus, he's the Lord, but he ain't so smart. You know, I mean, we think those things. Right? So we rebel against the authority of Jesus. We rebel against the authority of our parents. I've never once met somebody who hasn't rebelled against the authority of their parents. Right? We rebel against the authority of our teachers and our bosses. And within families, one of the probably the main reasons we have the breakdown of the family in 21st century America is that there's rebellion against authority all around. Right? And really, everything in this chapter is really all about the healthy way to view authority. God did not place people in authority to oppress you, but that you might flourish within the family, within your relationship with God. Now, I realize that saying that is a terrifying thing, especially in light of very real hurts that people have because of authority that has been oppressive. But you never want to build your belief structure or your theology based on a reaction to the worst-case scenario. God shares with us his heart for a reason. And you have to realize that in all the authority that we find ourselves in, ultimately God is the ultimate authority. And if what I'm learning is that if I can't submit to the authorities over me who I can see, how could I ever hope to submit to the authority of God whom I can't see in the same way as I can see a physical person? Make sense? So... Moses has been the spiritual leader of Israel. Sure, there's the priest, but he's really been the mediator. He's talking to the heads of their tribes, and the leaders of the tribes are now disseminating it down. It's all authority structure. 
Now, in verse 2, we get the vows for the man. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, it says, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So what it says is that if you made a vow, then you needed to honor the vow that you made. If a man binds himself to an agreement, if he makes a vow, he should keep that vow. Now, We'll see that again in Deuteronomy chapter 23 later. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 teaches us that a vow should not be made rashly. But listen to what Jesus says. And I think, obviously, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in flesh who died on a cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Listen to what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Verses 33 to 37, because Jesus is the authority on life and the afterlife, eternal life. This is what he says. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, which for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. And that was before, like, you know, Clairol for women and all that stuff. You know what I mean? You guys know what he's meetings. Sorry, that was in the, that's not in the Sermon on the Mount. That's my comment on that. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now think about that. In Numbers 30, it says, if you make a vow, you got to keep it. And then Jesus says, listen, don't make vows at all. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Really what Jesus is saying is that the only reason you need to swear an oath or make a vow is because nobody believes you're really going to keep it. So be a person who says what they're going to do and actually follows through. That let your yes be yes and your no, no, and anything more is from the evil one. That's a big takeaway, isn't it? We need to be people who, when we say something, we do it. And we shouldn't need to go through this spiritual song and dance that says, I swear, this is, listen, if you know God wants you to be in church, then be a part of church. If you know that God wants you to serve, you don't have to say, listen, I promise on my mother's grave that I'm going to do this thing or that thing. You just need to do what you're supposed to do. Our words matter. Our words matter. And our words are creative. Words create things, and we want our yes to be yes and our no, no. So Jesus says, listen, don't make vows. So when Jesus says don't make vows, what shouldn't we do? Make vows. Just be the people that we're supposed to be. Just be the man or the woman that God has created you to be, and let your words have truth tied to them. If you say you're going to do this, do this. It's amazing how often we can say we're going to do something and then slump away. Don't do it. Or we say one thing and we do something else. And really what it shows is it shows a divided heart. As the people of God, we should be very specific with what we say. We should make sure that what we say is properly measured. That we actually fulfill the things that we say that we're going to do. Let your yes be a yes, and let your no be a no. Anything more, it says, is from the evil one. That's a serious statement, isn't it? 
Every time we get into this whole thing, you know, by my mother's, uncle's, father's land, back then, I'm going to do this thing. It's, it's from the evil one. So let's let our yes be yes, and let's let our no be no. But if a man swears, makes a vow, he should keep it. Now, starting in verse 3 to the end of the chapter, we get the vows and women. Now, I realize that when you read this, this is going to read very not culturally appropriate for 21st century America. Right? I'm just gonna, like, the best way to put it out there is this way. Because you have to realize that in this culture, this was a staunchly patriarchal culture. This was a male-dominated culture. Now, what's amazing is if you actually read widely on historical writings, you will find that the protections of women contained within the law of God is absolutely unique in all of Near Eastern writings. You'll never find as much time taken to the protection of women as you will find in the Bible, right? And I've said this many, many times, that when people want to say that that Judeo-Christian writings or values is oppressive of women, you've actually not really done your homework because you look at any culture that doesn't have the teachings of the scriptures as the foundation of the culture, and you will always find systems of oppression for women. And Jesus was actually the greatest liberator of women that ever lived. And it's important for us that we always keep that in mind. No, don't get me wrong. There's still a way to go in the way that this thing plays out. Things like men and women for the same job with the same skill set. Women still get paid less than men. That's unjust. That's what it was called. What is it? It's just not right. It's not right. You know what I mean? And so culturally, there's always ways to go. And there's things that we have to continue to work on. But... This is all about what happens for a vow when a woman, when she's single, and what happens when she gets married. If she makes a vow, what does it mean for the fact that if she's single, she's under her father's authority, and what if her dad doesn't like the vow? You have all these nuances of what happens when a woman makes a vow. And so we get all these different categories of it. And we'll try and delineate different things as we go. So look at what it says in verse 3. It says, Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow, and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. So now we have a single woman who is in her youth. So she's still under the covering or the authority of her father. Now, if she makes a vow, imagine a woman has this moment, a gal has this moment, and she says, God, I'm going to bind myself to something, right? If her father hears it and he holds his peace, then that vow stands. Then she's allowed to make the vow, and if her father consents to the vow, then that's the vow before the Lord, and she should keep that vow. But if the father decides for whatever reason that that vow is not okay, if the father resists the vow, then the Lord does not hold that woman to task for that vow. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I'm grateful that I haven't been held to everything that I said I was going to do when I was young. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. So it's like, the idea here is that, and there's nothing wrong with being young. The only problem with being young is, is that 
you're young, right? And one of the things you learn as you get older, and now I realize that by no means am I the oldest person around, but one of the things that I, when I look back on myself in my teenage years and in my 20s, I didn't know what I didn't know. I think that's something that as you live longer and have more experiences, you start to learn that, wow, I really thought I really had all that stuff together. I didn't even realize this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. And with further reflection, this thing and this thing. How many of you guys have seen the commercial or gals, you've seen that commercial where it's like, I'm never going to get married. And then the next scene is on the wedding day. And I'm never going to have kids. And then it's like... I'm pregnant, and then, you know, we're never going to have more kids. I'm never going to drive a minivan. I'm never going to live in the suburbs, right? And then the, the last scene, it's a beautiful commercial. It's a guy sitting there with his wife, and his kids are all sleeping. He's like, I'm never letting go. And we've all kind of done that as you're one, in one stage of life. Like, I'm never going to do that thing, right? And so really what we have here is that for a daughter who's under the covering of her father, she can make a vow as long as her father consents to it. And the father holds his peace and says, great, she wants to do that religious vow, great. But if he doesn't like it for whatever reason, the Lord lets the woman off from the vow because God honors the authority of a father over his daughter. And Lord willing, within that authority structure, if you read your Bible about God's design for parents with their children and children with their parents, God's intention is not that the authority of a parent be oppressive, but that the authority of a parent be something that helps a child blossom. And anybody here who's a parent, you know what that's like. You're always running that, you're always looking for where the line is for when your parenting is something that oppresses your children, as opposed to what makes them blossom. So I've used this example many times because Obadiah is like me and so he's fun and so he does crazy things and I'm his dad so I got to watch him. And I remember I was at the park with Obadiah. So Obadiah must have been about four or five and Maranatha was about one or two, right? And I'm on the phone with Lynn. So Lynn's not there. I'm at the park and Obadiah is literally walking up the large slide with a big wheel, right? And Maranatha's right in front of him. So it's like, Maranatha's going on. And I know what's going on because Obadiah is me. And so I've been there before. And so he's going to put Maranatha on the big one. He's going to send her down the slide, right? That's what, I know that that's what's happening because he's my boy and I get him. You know what I mean? And so, so sure enough, I'm on the phone with Lynn and I know I'm going to have fun with this. So I'm like, I'm like, Obadiah, you can't send Maranatha down the big slide on the big wheel without a helmet on. And Lynn literally screams into the phone, you can't let him send her down the slide at all, you know? But I knew I wasn't going to let him do it. But it was more, I was, you know, I had to have a little fun with my bride. You know, she loves me for it, not really. Pray for her. You know what I mean? But it's like, I love Obadiah, and I did not exert my parental prerogative because I'm a lame dad. I just know that if he sends his little sister down the big slide, on the big wheel, we're going to end up going to the hospital. And it'll be really super fun for like three seconds, not even, like 0.3 seconds. And then it's just going to go really bad. So listen, the Bible says, parents, don't provoke your children. Fathers, don't provoke your children. The idea is don't oppress them. You're not trying to hold them down. You just need to set the guardrails so that they can blossom and flourish the way God wants them. Our job is to prune them so that they could be the most fruitful, not to oppress them so that they can't blossom. Jesus is real. Today's topic of making vows led Pastor Daniel to provide an interesting point for us to ponder. 
If we feel we need to make vows to prove to someone that we'll actually do what we've said, then we aren't as trustworthy as we should be to begin with. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. God has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m at CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue to discuss making vows, what they meant for the Israelites and what they mean to us today. Vows are considered sacred to God. He's made vows to us that he will never break. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Preparation. Until then, may God bless. 